Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. There are some things in life that are so important that you absolutely cannot forget them, such as turning up on your wedding day or getting to an interview, the first day at a new job, or attending your child's sports game that you promised you'd be there for. Have you ever forgotten something this important? Or do you know someone who has? How did that feel? What were the repercussions? I know I've forgotten something fairly important once, at least once. Let me start this story by saying that I am someone who prides myself on being on time, always. Like, I'm always, always on time. Like, I was early to our wedding day to make sure I was there on time. But about 12 years ago, I was supposed to be going into the city to meet with someone, and I was planning on catching the train in. And so I'd already planned in my head which train I was going to take to make sure I was there on time. And I had the train timetable in my head because that's how I'm wired. But as I was getting to leave on this day, I suddenly remembered that it was a Saturday. And therefore the train timetable was completely different. So because I'd forgotten it was a Saturday, I ended up being half an hour late to this catch-up and I was so upset with myself that I actually cried. <laughs> yeah. Now you may think that that's a bit of an overreaction but you see that day I was going into the city to meet with Benjamin and that day we officially became a couple. <laughs> so and he doesn't let me forget that I was late that day. <laughs> So my forgetting of that Saturday could have changed the course of history. (laughs) Or not. But what situations do we find ourselves in that make us likely to forget things? Sometimes we're just distracted and forget, or we're on a phone call, or we're asleep and we forget to wake up in time. Perhaps we're not really listening when we make plans or when we're supposed to be learning something and so we forget. Perhaps we're sucked into a good book or TV. We're busy. Sometimes we just assume that we know what's going on and we assume we'll remember something. It never works for me. Or sometimes we don't prioritise remembering things or we procrastinate or things get in the way. So then how do we make sure we remember things? When it's something really important, what do we do? I'm sure you've got your own methods, but I've heard some people use post-it notes around the house to remind them of something. Perhaps if it's something you need to remember, like information, you might print it out and put it around the house. Perhaps you repeat something to yourself over and over, you write it down, or you plan a schedule, you set alarms on your phone, or maybe you set something to a favourite tune. I once memorise chunks of text to different themes from Star Wars for a Ridley exam. That's a story for another time. The point is, when something is truly important that we need to remember, we make sure we use methods to remember it. 
In our passage today, Moses gives us the most important thing we could ever need to remember and urges us to forget it, no matter what. And Moses, well, he doesn't use post-it notes or alarms on an iPhone to remind Israel. Instead, he uses a special type of storytelling method to keep these commands vivid in the Israelites' minds, which I'll explain in just a moment. About six years ago, I used to be a grade three classroom teacher. And one of my favorite things to do in my English classes was to teach poetry writing. It was great because we'd teach all the different styles and structures of poems, and then the students would all get to have a go. We'd write limericks and haikus and acrostic poems, poems that had rhymes, poems in the shape of different animals. And the kids would mostly love doing it. They'd really enjoy it because there was a set structure to it which helped them to write these poems. And one such type of poem is called a Diamante poem. Now, you may not have heard of that style of poetry before. That's fine. It's usually only found in grade three classrooms. But it's got, it's got a specific structure to it where it starts small, gets bigger in the middle, and then small at the end, like a diamond shape, hence the name Diamante. Let me show you some examples. So we've got spring. Spring, lovely, bright, living, breathing, flowering, crocus blooms, tulips, raindrops, sun, breezing, warming, blooming, vibrant, colourful season. We get what that's about. It's about spring. There's also one even more obvious called cats. Cats, ginger, loving, jump, purr, sleep. Oh, jump, sleep, purr. Sorry, also. Eyes, fur, back, teeth, sneak, pounce, wag, fluffy, smart, cats. It's about cats. Anyway, you can see from the, these type of poems that they have correlating lines on either side of the centre. There are adjectives sorry, in lines two and six, verbs in lines three and five, mostly, uh, and nouns in lines one, four, and seven. But all these lines, in their different ways, relate to the main theme of the poem, enhancing the understanding of the central idea. And today's passage is structured a bit like a Diamante poem, not in the way of it being shorter at the start and then wide in the middle and smaller at the end, but rather Today's passage has matching themes on either side of the central point. Let me show you. So you can see I've got coloured arrows, because I like to organise things like that, uh, that show the matching ideas on both sides of the central point. So we have God's promise in verses 1 and verses 17 to 18. Then we have a reminder of the wilderness hunger in verses 2 to 6 and verses 14 to 16, followed by the provision of a good land and wealth, wealth in verses 7 to 10 and 12 to 13, and culminating in verse 11, the temptation to forget the Lord. Now, this literary structure is uh, in a passage is not necessarily biblical poetry, in fact, more often it's not 
biblical poetry, like the passage that we have today. And it's called a chiasm. And the writers in the Bible use this type of structure to help their original audience understand and remember the main point. But you're probably thinking, that's nice, Emily. But why does understanding this structure matter? (laughs) Well, because it helps us to easily see the main point of this passage, which is the exhortation to not forget the Lord your God. And so as the Israelites moved from the moment of God's promise through the wilderness and into a time of provision and wealth, this is what Moses needed them to hear. He wanted them to hear that when you've reached the pinnacle and life is good, that's not the end. You must remember the Lord. So we're now going to start digging into this bit by bit. So at the beginning and the end of our passage today, Moses reminds this new generation of Israelites who are about to enter the land of the promises and covenant made to their ancestors. That's the previous generation, where they were promised at Mount Sinai, and to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And through Abraham, they were promised land and blessings and to be a powerful nation that would be a blessing to others. God chose them and blessed them, not because they were any better or any more holy than anyone else, but he chose them because he wanted them to be his. And Moses fully expects that every generation of the Israelites are the inheritors of these promises, as we can see in verse 1, that even though the promises were made in the past, they were to act upon them today. And in acting upon the promises of God today, they ensure a future for themselves and for those who are to come, to live in the fulfilment of those promises. And this connects in with the wilderness experience of the Israelites. The promise of God requires movement through the wilderness where they are waiting in faith for that promise to be fulfilled. We're reminded that the Israelites were hungry in the wilderness. God had taken them on a journey of meandering through the desert places and made them hungry and fed them. And that was a lesson in reliance and in obedience. But this very lesson in hunger and then in the daily provision of manna would help the Israelites to know God and to rely on him. God was testing them to know if they had the faith to now possess the land he had promised them. God proved himself faithful through the marvellous provision of shoes that always fitted and clothes that never wore out. Not that God needed to prove himself, but once again, this is said as a reminder that God had been with them and providing for them in the wilderness for 40 years. Have you ever wondered why Jesus needed to be in the wilderness for 40 days after his baptism? It's recorded in a few of the Gospels, but this is it from Matthew. Let me read it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, 
he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put your Lord to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Jesus, just like Israel, was tested in the wilderness. For Jesus, just like Israel, the wilderness was a learning opportunity to grow in humility, to be tested, and to rely on God's provision. And just as Israel was tested for 40 years, so too Jesus was tested for 40 days. But where Israel eventually failed to follow all commands, Jesus showed obedience. He remembered what God had promised. We need to rely on God's provision because we cannot do it ourselves. Jesus is who we need. We need to remember Jesus in the hard times and not forget him in the good times. And Israel needed to remember God in the good times. In verses 7 to 10 and verses 12 and 13, Moses paints this beautiful word picture of the splendour that awaits in the promised land. Let me read those parts again for us. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig leaves, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And then verses 12 and 13, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all of you, all you have is multiplied, then blah, blah, blah. The Israelites are about to receive an abundance of everything in the promised land. Everything. And let us pause now and think about God's abundance of goodness for us. He didn't have to give the Israelites so much in the promised land. He doesn't have to give us so much. And yet he does. A few years ago, while Ben was studying and I was working part-time to support our family, 
money was getting pretty tight. We were starting to think maybe we'd need to do something about remortgaging the house. And for a few weeks there, we were basically just living on the food we already had because we couldn't afford to buy new stuff. I mentioned this one Monday night to a prayer group that I was meeting with um, who prayed for us. And on Tuesday morning, we discovered $7,000 in our bank account. It was a back payment from the government. Uh, We actually called them because we're like, yeah, I think you've made a mistake here. But they're like, no, 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 that's money you were owed already, Um, which was just mind-blowing. We had no doubt that that was God providing for us in that moment. And not just a little bit to get us by. No, he provided for us in abundance. And so we praised God for his provision. God gives so freely of himself to the Israelites and to us. But there is a warning that runs through this passage as well. It is a reminder to not be proud and forget the Lord in good times, in times of plenty. And this is often such a danger for us living in the Western world. So many people are so comfortable that they don't even think of God. They don't feel that need for God. And we as churchgoers, we're certainly not immune We can feel secure enough in our finances, our jobs, our homes, that we don't feel that yearning, that need for God, that reliance in the day-to-day. There's a great quote that I found that says, Sufficiency generates praise, but surplus generates pride. We can be proud and therefore forget where our abundance comes from. And before, because we're more comfortable than generations past, we don't necessarily feel that wilderness hunger for God to fill us. And so we reach verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. All the verses that come before and after this in the chapter are pointing to this central point. You've heard me repeat it over and over already. Do not forget the Lord your God. But what does it mean to forget God here? Well, in one sense, to forget God is to forget the history of what God has done what God has done in the hard times and forgetting him in the blessings of the good times and it's tied in with that sense of pride. Forgetting someone is hurtful. It's hurtful to that person. I mean, have you ever been forgotten? Perhaps a birthday forgotten or someone who was supposed to meet with you and you were half an hour late? It hurts. It's diminishing. Even if it's not meant to hurt, when you're forgotten... It hurts. And imagine how God feels in that. What we need to remember here is that God's people must always rely on him. It is what the Israelites were called to do then, 
and what we are called to do now. We need to remember what God did in the wilderness for the people of Israel. And most importantly, we need to remember what God has done for us through the cross of Jesus, how he provided for us, how he helps us, how he provides for us daily. To remember God on a consistent basis is to value him on a consistent basis. And just like we can forget important things without proper reminders, we can forget the Lord in our busyness, in our laziness, in our indifference, and in our pride. Do you sometimes get so caught up in life that you suddenly realise you haven't thought of God in hours? I know I do. Megan spoke last week about how the Israelites were told to keep the commandments that had been put on their hearts. They were to impress them on their children, talk about them when they sit at home, when they walk on the road, when they lie down, when they get up, tie them as symbols on their hands, bind them to their foreheads, write them on the door frames and on their gates. What are some practical methods we can put in place to continually remind ourselves of God and of his providence? We could wear a cross necklace, put passages of scripture around our homes, have routines of prayer and Bible reading, talk about how God is working in our lives with others. We could listen to music in praise or worship of God. We could try to connect mundane habits of our lives, like housework or driving, with time with God. We could meet with others to talk and pray, whether that be in growth groups or friends and family. We could re-watch services during the week to remind ourselves. Or maybe you could do something else, something that God is impressing on your heart right now today. One thing I've tried to do is form a habit of when something good happens, saying praise God out loud and meaning it. Praise God that my children slept well during the night. Praise God that I found a car park undercover when it was raining. Praise God that my sermon's nearly finished. (laughs) Gratitude in the midst of God's generosity protects us against that self-sufficiency and forgetfulness that we find in comfort. I want to encourage you this week to do one thing, to try to form just one new habit that will help you to continue to remember the Lord in all things. Just as God provided for his people in the desert and in the promised land, he has provided so much for us. Homes, safety, food, jobs, family, friends, leisure. And he has gone above and beyond by providing us with his son, Jesus. His life, ministry, death and resurrection are an abundance that God has given us so that we may have life eternal with him. And surely that's worth remembering. Let me pray. Lord, help us to recognise you are with us today. 
Forgive us for so easily forgetting your presence when we get busy or feel stressed by the worries of this life. Lord, remind us that you are with us right where we are in the middle of challenges and blessings because you are here. We know that you see us, you hear us, and you care for us. Give us grace to draw near to you. We want to know you better, Lord. Reveal yourself to us. We long to see you more fully and know of your great love, power, and faithfulness. Open our eyes to the evidence of your presence and provision around us. Help us to see with fresh eyes the blessings you have already given us. Thank you for your faithful provision and your promise to never leave us. In Jesus' name, amen.